Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown and Eric Rieger. Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. I'm your host, Eric Rieger, joined by this awesome guy, Dr. Kenneth Brown. Ken, what's up? What's going on, Eric? Today we are going to do episode 88. Interestingly, kind of a throwback. We're going to talk COVID again. Yeah, I think we need to. Yeah, it's been a little bit. Uh, looking back, do you realize that it's been two years since we did our first COVID file? In some ways, it feels like it was two years, and in some ways, it feels like yesterday. Yeah, we ended up doing 16 COVID files. If you haven't seen this, early on in the podcast, COVID hit, and we're like, well, what do we do? And we went deep diving, and I'm very proud of this. When nobody knew anything about COVID, we were looking deep all over the place, and we were pretty spot on the whole time. It's kind of wild, honestly, how much of that even held up. In fact, I would say probably one of the most prepared uh, episodes that I had where we went through pulmonary physiology and on a ventilator turns out to be one of the worst things you could have done for yourself. Uh, but we learned, and but you kind of walked your way through that because then you started realizing unless there's high pulmonary pressure, then we probably don't want to be doing this. You you hinted at that. Yeah, we ended up having that guy on. I can't believe we've forgotten his name that had the, uh, the positive pressure dome. Oh, the positive dome. pressure dome, that's right, yeah. And that actually turned out to be a great tool where you weren't using, you weren't getting barotrauma from a diseased lung. Forgot his name. Look at the episode. He was on 60 Minutes the week before. Yeah. Eric contacts him and he comes on the podcast. Yeah, well, we were just like 60 Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so we did those 16 episodes of the COVID files when everybody was just as confused and nobody could go to work or anything. And now we're just finally, I feel like finally comfortable to talk about, well, let's look at how the treatment was. Let's look at some of the stuff that's going on. How about these vaccinations? And then something that I'm seeing a lot of, which is pretty much what we're going to talk about today, this sticky little thing called long COVID, because I'm seeing so much of it in my practice. It's really, yeah, honestly, it's just a little bit wild. And it's it's kind of strange that they would even create uh, a category called long, long COVID when it's, I think what we're going to get to is just what's perpetuating unsolvable inflammation. That's exactly it. And there's been some really recent publications looking at long COVID specifically that it is pretty damn common. And it's even being reported in people that did not have COVID, but had vaccination. Yeah. And I've got articles to kind of back up all that. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And it's pretty interesting. You want to look at it because if you know anybody that's had long COVID or if you had COVID or even a vaccination and you felt like something was going on, like brain fog or just didn't feel right or just didn't have the same stamina, this could be the stuff that we're talking about. But before we get into all that, Eric, what is up in your world? What is up in my world? Well, we are more than halfway for uh, the grandbaby. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, it's February. Seems like it's coming faster than uh, than I thought. But then, of course, I can't wait to meet uh, this new little baby. So it doesn't seem like it's getting here fast enough. But regardless, um, everything's going well. I'm going to go and see Mac and Gage and and uh, Laney this weekend. We're going to the West Virginia football game together. Uh, yeah. Uh, so for me, things are good. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Yourself? Uh, everything's going good in my house. We've got the usual stuff. Uh, Lucas is heading up to do a tournament. I'm going to North Carolina Ooh, this weekend. Big weekend. Big, big, big weekend. It's the American College of Gastroenterology. And Northwestern University, not because we paid them, not because we gave them product. They, on their own accord, did a randomized placebo-controlled trial on my baby, Atrantil. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going up there to see what their results are. Because they're going to present it at the American College of Gastroenterology. So heading to Charlotte, North Carolina this weekend. The craziest thing is, is that this puts Autron Teal through no, really no effort of ours into a completely different category where it is the only over-the-counter supplement studied by a university in a clinical trial to effectively discern what's real and what works. And it's... It's, it's an honor being part of the team where they decided that's a product that we want to put to the test to see if this is something that's going to mean something. Yeah. So this is going to be exciting. And I've done clinical research in those really strict ways where you've got no skin in the game. And it's, let's see if it's positive. That's going to be really exciting. We, we already know it's not negative. So let's just see what it comes out. But I want to thank everybody at Northwestern that actually participated in that study because I'm just excited that we have people now looking in academic centers at Natural Solutions. That's the coolest thing. This is the first door to knock down that, yes, let's see if a natural solution can compete in the pharmaceutical world. And that's, that's what I'm going for up there. 100%. The other super exciting thing is you and I are wearing these super cool bracelets. Oh, we are. Yeah. So I'm giving a talk, or I'm on a panel, uh, at the first part of November at uh, the Baby Bathwater meeting where, we're ta- where I'm going to be talking about the microbiome and specifically how the microbiome affects your health. So my son, Lucas, uh, joked around. He's like, you should get one of those bracelets made. Remember that WWJD bracelet? And I think on one of the other episodes, about four or five ago, I joked Mm -hmm. about him doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, Carla and I sat and we found a website and she made it. It says WWYMS. What would your microbiome say? And as we get into this stuff today, you're going to see really next time you're doing something that possibly is not so healthy for you. Not only is it not healthy for you, but it may not be healthy for your microbiome and you need your microbiome to help you. So in that light, what I would like to do is any purchases made at KBMD Health, whether you're picking up Atrantil Pro for the polyphenols and the spore biotics, whether you're one of those MTHFRers, the um, the gene that we just discussed on our last yeah, podcast. Yeah, with Joanne Kennedy. Yeah, with oh, two podcasts two ago. Two podcasts Yeah, ago. With, with Joanne Kennedy. If you have that gene and, what did I say, 40% of all people do, they, have, the, they the lack the, the gene. Yeah. They, they have the mutation. You need Podiapin, which is there on the uh, website. And if you want to increase your NRF2 level, in addition to taking Atrantil, you can take Broccoli Pro. All of these things are relevant to what I'm going to talk about today. But if you do that, then I want you to take care of your microbiome. We're going to give you a free, what would your microbiome say bracelet? And then on the other side, it says getcheckproject.com. That way so, you can like and share with your wrist everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, like and share with your wrist. So, <laughs> And then the other thing that I'm, this is a, this is an ask. This is an ask to the KVMD health community, to the Get Check Project community. Uh, I have my two kick-ass medical assistants. Absolutely amazing. The backbone of my practice, Nizreen. And the most recent person that joined, but I feel like she's been a part of the team forever and she's only been with us for like a year and a half, Teresa. Mm-hmm. They are both moving on to bigger and better things. Teresa's going to be going on to graduate school mm-hmm. and Niz has been promoted to a management position. So I'm going to be 
Sands two fantastic medical uh, medical assistants. So if anyone knows anybody that needs a job as a medical assistant, please reach out to us. Even if you're in transition, like maybe waiting to go to college or waiting to get into graduate school, we call that a gap year. That's basically what Teresa was, and she was phenomenal, and we love gap year people. So I would hate to have the quality of the care in my office go down because I have no employees, and it's just me running around, you know, doing all that stuff, answering phone calls and whatever while I'm doing a rectal and a hemorrhoid. I'm like, yes, hello, <laughs> welcome to Dr. Ken Brown. Oh, uh, quit moving, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> he doesn't want to wear a headset while he's having to do all that. I can promise you. Hey, I'll vouch for this guy, though. So both in his clinic and even when we have worked together at, uh, at the procedure center, Ken has always worked to promote those who want to come in. So for somebody who wants gap employment, it truly is that. It's to come in, get your hands wet, or I'm sorry, your feet wet, and get your hands dirty, learning a little bit about, you know, really the medical profession and what it could mean to you. And you could figure out if it's something that you want to do and if you want to move up. I don't know how many people we've had come in as techs who are now nurses, nurses who are now nurse practitioners, or or, or techs who've come in or are now in med school or doctors. Yeah. And we just had, we were screwing around right before we started filming this because one of my former employees, my scheduler, Hadil, Ms.'s sister, is actually here in the studio because she's going to come and teach me some things that she's learned because she got promoted into a teacher position for the electronic software that we use. And so I do say that I say, my job is to make sure that you move on to something bigger and better. And every time it happens, it really pisses me off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause then I'm like, yeah, shit, I'm right yeah. back where I Why started. Am I so nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I'm super proud of definitely all our former employees that are now doing amazing things and keep growing and they just keep sharing and we stay in touch. So that's awesome. But so that's what's going on with me. So my ask is that, please, if you know anybody that um, is a smart, intelligent person that would like to get in the medical field, we can start here. But before we move on to the long COVID stuff, mm -hmm. I got sucked in by a new, uh, not even a news article, well, kind of a news research slash article. Uh-oh. Yeah, and that I just, I, I couldn't let it go. Okay. Uh, before we get into all the long COVID stuff, I want to talk about cow snot. Yeah. I never know what the topics are, so here we go. Well, last episode, we talked about cow burps and cow farts. We did. And the taxing of those in New England, and now I want to talk about cow snot. Okay. So it may seem like I'm completely obsessed with cows, but I'm not. <laughs> but shit, these titles you just can't walk away from. No. It is, I, no, you can't. And? The title of the article, and it's a scientific article, is Personal Lubricant Made from Cow Mucus May Protect Against HIV and Herpes. Yup. Personal Lubricant. I'm just wondering how naturally that could occur. <laughs> <laughs> so this article was just published in the Journal of Advanced Science, and I went down that rabbit hole immediately. I'm like, I cannot... I guess clickbait is everywhere, I even think, in like scientific. I think everyone listening is in the rabbit hole, whether they <laughs> wanted to be there or not. All right, we're in this rabbit hole. So basically researchers <laughs> at KTH Royal Institute in Ontario, Canada, were looking at cow mucus. And basically <laughs> <laughs> they turned it into a personal lubricant. And they showed that it was 70% effective in the lab against HIV and herpes. So... Hmm somebody, and this is always like, how did we get there? Like now, like now the science makes sense. You're like the lubricant is derived from mucin, which is the primary molecule in 
mucus, snot, mm. and it's the main component of mucus that is produced in both humans and cows. We know that. And th- what they did is they take this mucin from the cow, they put it in a purified form, and they made it into these hydrogels. And then because of the natural complexity of this and because the mucin in a cow can fight off different things, they expose it to HIV and herpes and without creating significant side effects, meaning there was no um, bacterial changes, there was no viral resistance and things like that. They showed that basically it decreased the ability of those viruses to live by like 70%. And it helped to dampen the activation of immune cells. Now, this is super important because that's how HIV replicates. It has yeah. to get into the cell, then yeah. the immune system turns on, busts, and then it gets out and does this. So the researchers state that this could help more people take greater control of their sexual health and offer another layer to both enhance and protect themselves. So if you see a cow sneezing, you know, bad allergies, just saying, might want to go grab some of that mucus. (laughs) Such a weird combo Viagra commercial that would be. (laughs) (laughs) I read this at the Endo Center and everybody just could not stop laughing. It's like, who was the first person that went, that looks slimy and it looks like the cow is fighting off viruses. I wonder if a new lubricant can be made that'll fight off viruses. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm probably giving away a good trademark name here, but you know how everybody on like all, a lot of the podcast circuit, they advertise the chewable uh, sidenafils, whatever, the, the blue chews. Oh. Now it's just the blue moose. <laughs> You have some blue moves that you could uh, combine an erectile dysfunction as well as a lubricant together. But maybe I'm overthinking it. You're just <laughs> looking at me. <laughs> I just, I mean, I'm doing the same thing you are. I'm just like, from a practical standpoint, how do you just walk in and just be like, I just give me that bucket of cow mucus right there. I mean, having been around a lot of cattle, they, they produce tons of mucus <laughs> they really do like it wouldn't be hard uh, to do that but uh but once again it's that it's that first scientist that went you know i'm gonna this cow just keeps snotting all over me i'm gonna go <laughs> what are you gonna do ken you just, you just trailed off there <laughs> we're not here to talk about that eric we're here to talk about long covid okay that sounds good Oh, it sounds terrible, but anyway. Well, I don't know, dude. Somebody, I mean, that will generate something. Somebody is doing some research somewhere, yeah. and they're like, no, wait a minute. That makes total sense. Because if you stop and think about it, we're almost ready to do, we're almost ready to launch our box, the SIBO box. That's a whole separate discussion. We've been working on it for a long time. It's really exciting. But yeah, one hey. of the things we're going to put in it is immunoglobulin. Now, one of the things that uh, people do to help their intestinal uh to get rid of viruses and to get rid of bacteria is to take immunoglobulin. There is one out there that's commercially available called Interagam, which is cow or bovine immunoglobulin, almost the same concept. They take the blood from the cow, they pull out all the antibodies because the cow gets exposed to so many things that the idea is that those antibodies know how to attack a lot of different things. So it's not that far off. One is blood, one is mucus. Well, no, of course, and it's the, it's the respiratory pathway. So that's, if you want an antiviral defense, it would make sense that it would exist there. I'm, I'm, that part doesn't surprise me. It's just the let's 
use this as lube. That's where. <laughs> <laughs> that's really, like you're you're describing all this stuff that makes sense. I'm like, yeah, no shit. I get all that. <laughs> it's just it's just using it and saying, honey, I've got a bunch of snot. Anyway, dude, inflation's real. I mean, it is it is legit. Have you seen the price of KY lately? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there has to be. I'm already making that commercial. Honey, have you seen the price of KY? There has to be a better alternative. Holstein boogers is probably cheaper. <laughs> I thought I was going to go with Moochoo's. <laughs> well, yeah, we're going to get there for sure. <laughs> well, I was listening to a podcast, The Gut Check Project, and they were talking about Moochoo's. <laughs> Anyways, um, long COVID. Now we get all serious. That's not nearly as funny. No. <laughs> Anyways, so one of the things that I'm seeing in my practice, so you may not be alone in this, but it's this this constant, I'm getting many people that have come in, and they're almost embarrassed to talk about it. They're like, ah, eh, something's just weird. I, I've just been having issues. I've been super bloated all the time. I feel like my stomach doesn't empty. I feel like I've developed constipation for no reason, and that's why they come to see me. Then I'll ask a question like, you know, are you feeling more fatigued than usual? Yeah, I kind of am. You know, did your doctor check your thyroid? Yes, checked all that stuff. And they're like, it's just, I'm in a brain fog, da 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 Okay, was this SIBO? Is this something else? And then you realize, well, when did it start? I, mean, I don't want to sound weird about a doc, but literally I had COVID like two months ago, and I feel like this is just like going on. Or I had COVID six months ago or a year ago. So I'm seeing this weird interaction with post-COVID and interacting with what I'm going to call the ganglion or the nervous system, the enteric nervous system of the GI tract. Okay. So that's kind of the start of all of this where I started looking up different things. And as it turns out, there's been some recent articles in here. And so that's what I want to talk about. First one, which is the title says it all. Long COVID may be an autoimmune disease. That's not good. Maybe an autoimmune disease. So researchers um, were looking at the fact that they were seeing this long COVID. One of the researchers out of Canada, she is a pulmonary doctor that actually developed COVID herself and then ended up having this constellation of symptoms. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, I clearly fall into this category of long COVID. And she goes on to describe it that we don't really even know what long COVID is. Although long COVID is now recognized by bodies like the World Health Organization, we still know very little about it or why it develops or even how we can help patients. And she said, I'm a respiratory researcher with a background in studying the immune system. And when I experienced all these symptoms of long COVID firsthand, I began to wonder about the role of the immune system. Right. So basically a respiratory doctor with an uh, immune background gets long COVID. And she's like, what are we going to do about this? So she designed a study and she took 106 people that had COVID, uh, then brought in, uh, 26 people, 22 healthy volunteers, and then took 34 people that had respiratory infections due to a virus, non COVID, and then checked their blood and looked for, for different aspects. What she found is that at six months out, like 30% or I'm sorry, 98 out of 106 at six months, 30% at one year still had symptoms, and then she checked for certain antibodies. Now, antibodies are immunoglobulins, which mean your body produces something to fight something else. The problem is if your body produces antibodies that attack your own body, those are autoantibodies. Yeah. So what she did is she realized that she could check certain autoantibodies, and there was a theme here that 
these autoantibodies were targeting human tissue. And it was apparent that this is becoming an autoimmune phenomenon one year out. And so nearly 80% of the COVID-19 patients had two or more of these specific antibodies at six months. This fell to 41% at one year. 41% of the 106 that she treated, or the 106 that just enrolled. So we're, this is tip of the iceberg type stuff. Because this is a really small study, and 41% at one year. Now, most of the healthy volunteers had absolutely zero signs, and they had no antibodies, and none of the people that had, let's say, an RSV virus or something else, some other viral infection that affects the upper gastrointestinal, uh-huh. the upper lungs, the upper respiratory tract, it didn't have any antibodies as well. So at one year, 30% of these antibodies persisted. So in some of these patients, these autoantibodies persisted, and they are more likely to continue suffering all these issues, and they have continued to suffer one year out. So these results point toward the need to test for signs of autoimmune disease in patients with symptoms of long COVID that last for at least a year or more. She's quoted as saying millions of people around the world are suffering with long COVID, and this is having an enormous socioeconomic impact. However, there is lack of evidence on why some people develop the condition and how we can help those patients recover. This is puzzle piece number one. So, the theory is that long COVID is autoimmune. That makes it difficult, potentially. It's, this gets back to a little bit of the whole SIBO thing, where when doc, Dr. Pimentel discovered some autoimmunity in the people that have post-infectious IBS. Right. So, we know that any type of infection can actually set off an autoimmune response. We know this when people get sick and then they have celiac disease. So... It's, it sucks because it's just an issue where your body effectively is working against you. And you're going to have to figure out how do I control this, this basal inflammation? Because if you don't, it, it just progressively gets worse. Yeah, and these uh, autoantibodies can attack everything from your joints to your intestines to, oh, I don't know, myocarditis, your heart. Yeah, it can do, it can do a lot of things. It'll give you sleepless nights, making it impossible for the the natural way that you would have to recover from inflammation and other types of fatigue that you just simply can't carry them out because your your body's making it impossible for your body to work. Yeah. So it is possible that long COVID is actually a result of turning on your immune system and mm-hmm. it doesn't turn off, develops antibodies and starts attacking you. That's a kick in the ass. You get sick or even if you don't even get sick. What if you have really mild disease like so many people do and then they end up with something? And I'm not kidding. I'm seeing this. I'm seeing people that have had to take time off from their work Mm -hmm. because they're like, man, I am messed up. My heart is racing all the time. I'm, I'm super anxious. I feel like I blow up like a balloon. I feel like my stomach doesn't empty for days. I'm not, no kidding. I'm hearing this, which means that it sounds like it's hitting the enteric ganglion or the enteric nervous system resulting in a possible central nervous system connection. It just sounds miserable, honestly. But, I mean, thank goodness we you can just go get a vaccine and never worry about it. We should probably address that here in the episode, but it's going to be really superficial because there's a lot of info on that. It's going to be superficial, and we know, and the reason why I joked in the beginning about the COVID files, because we know now at least some people you can talk a little bit about vaccinations and such, and what this article is, oof, 
this would suck if this happened. Severe treatment refractory antibody positive autoimmune autonomic gangliopathy after mRNA COVID-19 vaccination. I'll explain what all that means in a second, but this was sent to me by our secret weapon, Angie Cook, who did a whole episode on dysautonomia, meaning when your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system just get flipped on their head and your body cannot cope. Yep. So this is a case report, and obviously it's a case report, so who knows how much it's going on out there, but how much is not being reported is what I'm saying. Because I've literally seen like 30, 40, 50 people, who knows, that come in with milder symptoms than this person had, and we'll get into that. But I'm not reporting it to the, I'm not, you know. VAERS? Yeah, I'm not reporting it to the adverse effect. VAERS? VAERS, yeah. VAERS, yeah. I mean, I'm too busy. I'm just. Yeah, well, that's funny because, you know, VAERS, and I know you know this, but VAERS has been around as a process for reporting uh, adverse events for a very, very long time. However, I would imagine that both or that most people that have an opinion on VAERS, whether pro or or negative about the way that they do or don't collect data, probably didn't even know of its existence until the last 18 months. And that's that's unfortunate because it literally is the way that the FDA was to keep tabs on how well the safety profile not the efficacy just the safety profile was to be studied and kept up with on you know specific uh vaccines and uh and it's been bastardized and i think that you and i actually shared in an audio file where we listened to someone who broke down step by step what has to happen before a submission is even accepted yeah and for anyone to say that anybody could just make up any excuse whatsoever and it gets reported as an adverse event, that is a myth. It doesn't happen that way. Once you submit something, you are then asked for documentation and often are required to hop on a phone call to defend the reporting of the adverse event. All of that to say, there are just simply busy physicians who don't have time to make those phone calls. You don't. You don't have time to make those submissions. Because you have a practice to keep up because you've got staff and you've got other patients that you have to see and you've got overhead and they've made it, oh, I don't know, reducing reimbursements. They've made it to where as prices increase and the salary requirements for staff increase, you just have less time to do things like that. So anyway. Yeah, 100%. And that's so awesome that some people take the time to send in articles like this. 100%. The short of it is this. Um, there was a healthy 50-year-old, and this is a case of somebody that developed acetylcholine receptor antibodies. I just got done saying that long COVID could be an autoimmune disease. Acetylcholine receptor antibodies? Yep. That's terrible. It is horrible because this is what happened to this poor cat. So a patient in their early 50s presented 35 days after completion of primary vaccination course with an mRNA vaccine. Um, then showed up with subacute severe panned dysautonomia. And that consisted of orthostatic symptoms. They'd stand up and feel real weak. They'd start passing out all the time. They had profound abdominal bloating and severe constipation. On day 35, he presented to the hospital with recurrent presyncope, meaning passing out, constipation, now starting to have urinary retention, can't pee, Feels full all the time, developed erectile dysfunction, which would kind of be like the least of my worries at that point. But. <laughs> well, he may have had a whole bunch of cow snot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> zero, zero. So 
a, a quick application of Muchu was attempted and didn't work. Yeah. Then he developed zero derma of the hands, oh, meaning he couldn't geez. sweat. He lost all his saliva. He had sicka, and then ended up having severe labile blood pressure. Then he um, actually, the blood pressure got so severe that he kept go- becoming unresponsive every time he tried to stand. Heart rate variability. Pupils started becoming weird. So basically, his whole parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system got jacked. That's the problem. Is any any element of parasympathetic... It, his ability to rest and digest is completely disrupted if you lose your ability to have receptors to acetylcholine. It, it, the at rest portion is the, the vagus nerve and all of the great things that the vagus nerve does for you is completely impaired if you can't have acetylcholine, acetylcholine do its job. Yeah. And so he ended up, uh, they ended up checking antibodies at that point. That's when they found the acetylcholine, actually the alpha-3 ganglionic acetylcholine receptor. Yeah, but basically an acetylcholine receptor, they tried a bunch of drugs on them, all kinds of different things, stimulants, steroids, minimal reduction, and his symptoms got a little bit better, but other features of autonomic failure remain present and severe to date. The dude's incapacitated. He was 50, viable, and now his whole central nervous system, the rest and digest, has been completely hijacked. So this is the first documented case in the literature of antibody-positive AAG temporally associated with a vaccination. So although causation, they admit that causation is speculative, but seems pretty much timely, um, the patient had essentially a very bland prior history was apparently healthy otherwise and then had this uh, autonomic failure five days after their vaccination so this they believe that this induced an autonomic dysregulation it is plausible given well-described autonomic dysfunction after covid19 right so they're basing on the fact that all these covid19 effects that i'm seeing in the clinic why wouldn't it be plausible that you could have similar symptoms after getting a vaccination so here's what really sucks unfortunately he has remained relatively refractory to all lines of therapy so we need to maintain vigilance for rare and potentially severe autoimmune complications Ish. So the thing about that is you have to at least look at this and go, okay, why did this happen? What's going on here? And I guess one of the things is why did it happen to this person? Why didn't it happen to somebody else? Can we at least gather the data, put it out there, look at it objectively? And I realize that you can say you can get any complication from anything at all. But that one is brutal because you can't live your life. Like, it isn't like, well, I can no longer run my marathon. Like, I can't become upright. It's crazy. It's awful. And, he, and it was done, in my opinion, under the guise of he thought he was doing what was best for his health. And he may even say for his community or for, <coughs> excuse me, for people that he cares about. But, um, well, we can get into it probably in another episode. But, I mean, it's, it's passed off as a vaccine. It's mRNA messenger rna it is gene therapy it literally is question is i'm somebody in the government 
that mm. says that's one out of 50 million people that's that's done this. Mm. It's bad things can happen to anybody. Maybe he was going to have dysautonomic failure anyways. So as a gastroenterologist wearing a bracelet that says, what would your microbiome say? I had to go down this path and try and put a little bit of logic as to why some people why are some people having really bad outcomes? Why are some people developing long COVID with um, autoimmune issues? Why did this, you know, poor guy end up with this, this autonomia? And so okay. there's a lot of new evidence coming out looking at the microbiome playing right. a role in all this. Mm-hmm. So this article is called The Microbiome as a Protagonist in COVID-19 Era Microorganisms just published recently. So this article looks on how the microbiome and if it gets altered, mm-hmm. and we've talked a lot about the microbiome, is related to the concept of inflammaging. And we talked about that in our aging series about how keep your microbiome young and you'll stay young. Let your microbiome get old, you'll get old. Inflammaging is how inflammation creates aging and how cells become older. And recent studies show that viral infections, let's talk about the flu, just even the flu right now cause an imbalance in the intestinal microbiome, otherwise known as dysbiosis. So intestinal dysbiosis may be one of the main factors influencing the adaptive response against these different respiratory pathogens. So we're talking about the flu, looking at this. They assess, these researchers are looking at the data and they said it is possible that a deeper understanding of the mechanisms on how the microbiome interacts after your body is fighting an attack, can both prevent and coordinate the response to this. It can prevent bacterial infections from developing. We're still talking the flu now. Okay. And it can actually prevent long-term consequences from the virus. Okay. They were looking at influenza in particular and how it's associated with a greater risk of complications and mortality for the older population. What they noticed also is that the efficacy of the vaccinations in the elderly is less effective than in younger people. Then they looked at some data and they noticed that you can reproduce the fact that those with dysbiosis had a worse response to the vaccination and had a worse outcome on any type of infection going on. Mm -hmm. So they're saying that dysbiosis is observed in the microbiome as we age. So when we say that older populations are at risk, are they at risk because they're actually chronologically older or are they at risk because their microbiome may be older? This is what these researchers are trying to imply. I don't know where you are exactly, but I would say that it's probably a cross-section of both. At least it has to be. But in order, regardless of what your age is, wouldn't you want your ability to use your microbiome not only as a defense but as a is a repair mechanism, is a good signaling pathway. If you had it, if you had a very, a very, very diverse microbiota, and you were able to not have a deficit of short chain fatty acids, it seems like that you're putting yourself in the best position possible, regardless of your numerical age, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you you could get you could get cogged up in well, so and so is eighty or so and so is forty, but in the end. What are they doing actively at that age to put themselves in the best position? And that really doesn't have, at that point, it doesn't matter if it's COVID or not. It's really anything. Yeah. So how we respond to these viruses and even how we respond to vaccinations may be 
a reflection of our microbiome. Mm-hmm. So now let's look at COVID-19 and the data on COVID-19 with this. Okay. So comparing stool studies, it appears that the intestinal microbiome will have an increase in pathogenic bacteria and a decrease in the protective good bacteria after becoming infected with SARS-CoV-2. In other words, they checked stool studies before and after COVID-19, and it appears that dysbiosis actually happens okay. after the infection. Makes sense. And we always said that COVID affected the elderly, like we just talked about, and those with comorbidities, but those are also the groups that have altered microbiome. If you have diabetes and hypertension and obesity, most of the time, some of your microbiome is dysbiotic, and it could be a, a, a two-way street right there. In fact, what they do is they cite several studies where alterations of the intestinal microbiome can potentially predispose an otherwise healthy young individual to an abnormal inflammatory state, which could explain some of the discrepancies of why certain people become extremely ill. This increases the evidence that is showing that the microbiota plays a fundamental role in the induction training and function of the immune system. Hmm. The composition of the intestinal microbiota and its activity are involved in the production of inflammatory cytokines, hence maybe long covid could be a result of dysbiosis. Yeah. Now it's all starting. I'm trying to piece this together here. Yeah. I'm trying to walk from long COVID being autoimmune. Vaccination create a very similar thing with autoimmune disease. We know that if you have, if your microbiota does not decrease the inflammatory pathway by decreasing NF kappa beta, increasing NRF2, and these things that we've talked about before, which sound really fancy and stuff, but basically it uh, protects inflammation, controls the cytokine response. Maybe that is playing a big role. Once again, it's one of those things where I'm like, wow, we're not hearing anything about this. We're not hearing, you should take your vitamin D, you should exercise, you should try and lose weight. Oh, and you should protect your microbiome because that's playing a really big role. Well, remember, Ian, you said it just then or you hinted at it, you know, controlling cytokines. So back when when the most deadly form of of COVID-2, which of course was wild type, the first, uh, and, and nothing's been nearly as lethal since, which is normal. Um, but the biggest issue, it seemed there for a brief period of time, was anything to allow a patient to avoid rampant cytokine storm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And so probably making certain that you have the defense mechanisms to prevent that from occurring is really where a lot of the root of this long-term could could lie. They may not have experienced a full-blown cytokine storm, but they just didn't have enough balance to protect themselves from the inevitable. Yeah. So, kind of sucks. Yeah. So, what they basically conclude is, the recommendation is, you know, tackle the approach, do all the usual stuff, but if you want to prevent a long COVID situation, strengthen the intestinal barrier and reduce pro-inflammatory states. Of course, this means what would your microbiome say? In other words, adopt a more diverse diet. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you treat your microbiome as an organ. It's just as important as your heart and your brain and any other organ because if you start harming that by eating highly processed foods, by... Um, not attend, uh, not going into a good circadian rhythm. Yes, if you have bad sleep, you mess up your microbiome yeah. also. I was joking around with my patients. I was giving every patient one of these bracelets and stress can affect your microbiome. So to the married couples, I was just like, next time you guys get in an argument, you point to your bracelet and go, 
you don't mess with my microbiome. We are not having this <laughs> argument. So it all comes back to the original bracelet that we're talking about here. What would your microbiome say? So as these new articles that are being published, and I say new articles because I think we're, we're over this fear of discussing this stuff. We can talk about it rationally. We can talk about it scientifically. Yes, there is this thing that looks like it could be long COVID. Yes, there is this thing that people do have adverse reactions to these vaccines. And let's talk about why. How do we protect? How do we help? And I think us here in the Gut Check Project at least can look at something like we would like everyone to be healthy. And the way that we can help is to make sure that you take care of your microbiome. You feed it what it wants, a colorful plate, lots of polyphenols, some fiber. You make sure you get good sleep. You make sure that you exercise. All of these have been discussed on other episodes. Yeah. No, it, 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 all of that makes sense. It, and the cool thing is, is it doesn't really change. We're not coming to you with another episode of now you have to do something completely different. It's really just driving home the point of how important it is to have a healthy microbiome, to make sure that you feed it, to make certain that you do the activities that support it, sleeping, exercise. And, uh, yeah, and even in the instance of COVID or potentially dangerous vaccines, it gives you the best defense possible, yeah. I think. Well, almost. I think the best defense possible, I'm not, I'm not proven yet, mm -hmm. because those researchers were complete wimps looking at HIV and herpes. Mm -hmm. I have not seen a cow with long COVID. I have not asked any of the cattle that I know if they had long COVID either. Well, I'm just going to assume that Moochu is going to protect me from long COVID also. <laughs> I mean, that's a great assumption. A lot of people assume these vaccines would work too, Ken. That worked out great. <laughs> if you missed the first part of the episode, we talked about how scientists have made personal lubricant to enhance your sexual pleasure uh, through cow mucus. And I'm not making that up. Yeah, that part was a lot more funny than... Than talking long COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to sandwich it, you know, it's like the whole. <laughs> we, we're, in, we're ending on a jolly note. Is that what's going on? <laughs> I'm trying to circle back to cow mucus. <clears throat> but dude, we were, I mean, we were on it way back in the day, two years ago. We were talking about this shit. Yeah. We were actually saying this turns on. We did a whole episode on the adaptive immune system and how it, it's getting turned on and how this will lead to this and this and this. That was my episode where I spent hours yeah but it holds up though. it one. truly holds up it's no different than all of this stuff which is dated here within the last couple of weeks and and maybe two months but i mean that's it's the, exactly what we were discussing back then you know what else hasn't changed vitamin d also important i mean a lot of these things they, they held up and guess what all of them are rooted in natural application it really is it's a natural process to deal with disease. Every time you try to deviate from it, you end up getting sicker. It's just the way that it is. Yeah. So this is episode 88. Um, got a little deep, but I'm sure some of you out there have e either dealt with somebody that is dealing with some long COVID symptoms or you yourself have. I think one of the ways that we can help is to try and improve your microbiome. That's what we're here for. So look at some of the episodes about how to feed your microbiome, polyphenols and fibers. Make sure you get good sleep. Make sure that you exercise. Look at the longevity episodes to see all of that ties in. So, um, And then if you want to learn more about cow mucus and lubricant, we'll hook you up with the scientist that did that because that's about the extent of my knowledge. I think it's cool that Ken's going to hook you up with that scientist. <laughs> Anyway, 
Like that's going to do it for episode 88, but please like and share, like and share. The show continues to grow every day because of viewers like you. Ken and I sincerely appreciate the support, all the questions, all the feedback. Some of these articles came directly from you. So, I mean, honestly, we appreciate it. And I know that we had several requests to get into vaccines specifically. We talked about it just before we kicked off the show. It's going to happen. There's actually a lot of data to get caught up on. Specifically, the news that broke today about the CDC um, authorizing and adding vaccines to children's schedule for vaccination. So let's do some research, and then we'll get back to you on that on a different episode. This is a great one. That's a hot topic. It is great. Um, so because what would your microbiome say, bracelet, if you order anything from the KBMD.com store. K- KBMD Health. KBMDHealth.com. Uh, store Atrantil Pro or Broccoli or Podiapin or True Niagen. We got all kinds of stuff for your longevity and your microbiome. We will throw in a WWYMS bracelet just so that you always take care of your microbiome. So episode 88. That'll do it. Take it easy. That's a wrap for this episode of the Gut Check Project, and we appreciate you for being a part of it. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out gutcheckproject.com to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get Gut Checked.